Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. When the Cavs wanted to replace evil Tristan Thompson with good Tristan Thompson, guess what they did? They used ZipRecruiter. They brought the old Tristan Thompson back. 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within a day. They're the best at distributing your job to the best boards, identifying the right people, inviting them to apply. My listeners can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Meanwhile, SeatGeek is the best app for buying and selling tickets for sporting events, concerts, and more. For $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase on any game or sporting event for NBA, NHL, baseball, whatever, you know what to do. Use promo code BS. I have LAFC season tickets. Me and Nathan Hubbard, my buddy, we got four of them, two each. On SeatGeek, we can just send them back and forth to each other. I couldn't go Sunday. Press this button on SeatGeek. He had the tickets. It was super easy. Uh, SeatGeek continues to impress me. Download the SeatGeek app or go right to SeatGeek.com. Check out the ringer.com. Kevin O'Connor wrote a piece today. What happened to Minnesota Kevin Love? Who knows? We're going to talk about that with Brian Windhorst a little bit later on this podcast. Also, Allison Herman wrote a great piece about John Mulaney, who is kind of having a moment right now. Check that out. All the other great stuff we have on the ringer.com. On the Masked Man Show with David Shoemaker, special guest this week, me. Oh, yeah. I'm talking wrestling. Oh, yeah. It's happening. It's not up yet, but it will be up uh, probably tonight, Wednesday night. So, yeah, me and David Shoemaker, we're back. Also, the Dave Chang Show, episode two, is coming Thursday. It is episode two of the pre-opening diaries that we taped before his restaurant launched, me and him. People love the first one. Good feedback on it. Please check it out. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And remember the rewatchables? I haven't been on the rewatchables in like five or six weeks. Chris Ryan, Sean Fantasy, and I, we're doing the social network. We'd been saving it. We have some big ones we want to do. We were going to save them over the summer once NBA kind of dies down and we need some, some premium content. But we're breaking this one out, the social network. It's time. Zuckerberg's having a moment. Not a great moment, but uh, we're doing that. Uh, and it's a great movie. You can make a case it's the best movie of this decade. We'll talk about that and a lot more. Subscribe to the Rewatchables or resubscribe or refresh your feed or whatever the hell you're doing because uh, I think that's going to be a good one. Could go two hours. You never know. Finally, Ringer merch. If you go to the ringer.com slash shop, you can find the Melothon t-shirts that we just put up uh, off of the hilarious NBA desktop episode with Jason Concepcion this week. Really funny. Good times. But uh, yeah, if you want Melothon, Mello must go from OKC raising $28 million for the fans of OKC to pay off Mello. Uh, you can buy that shirt right now on the ringer.com slash shop. Coming up in a second, my old friend from ESPN, Brian Windhorst. We're going to talk about LeBron, NBA playoffs, and a lot more. Today's a special day for the Simmons family. My daughter turned 13. She is not going to come on the podcast. But uh, it's just crazy. A lot of you out there are probably not parents. I'm assuming most of you out there are not parents. Some of you are. But uh, going through, I did a, an Instagram story, just a couple different pictures of her today. And it's just nuts. Like you can remember this stuff from 2007, 2008, like it was a week ago. And meanwhile, it was 10 years ago and just, you know, 13 years and Lord only knows what's going to happen next. What I really wanted, you know, this podcast is free. You, uh, 
you've probably subscribed to it either the last couple of years or maybe even going back to the ESPN BS report days. I've never really asked for much. Just pray for me over the next four or five years. Just pray. Just say, if, if you're saying your prayers tonight before bed or you're at church this weekend or whatever you're doing religiously, just put in like three seconds for me. My daughter's 13. I don't know what the hell's going to happen. Oh my God. Anyway, happy birthday, Z. We love you. You're a great kid. Nicest kid I know. I hope that doesn't change. <laughs> uh, all right, here's Pearl Jam. On the line, it's been a while. My old friend from ESPN, Brian Windhorst. How are you? Bill, I'm great, except for there's a lot more intention and energy that I'm used to for game one of the second round of the playoffs. I'm used to LeBron and the Cavs not really causing any sweat until like midway through the conference finals. Yeah. I felt like LeBron, last night specifically, I felt like he's kind of back with this team. I, especially like midway through that Indiana series, we've seen him do this before where he's just, I'm doing my thing. I'm not going to really, I'm not going to go out of my way to lead anybody, but I'm not going to poison this either. I'm just kind of in no man's land here. Last night I felt like he's like, we're, we're doing this. We got this. And he's inspiring people and he's chest bumping and he's doing all the stuff. He lo- It looks like this is his team again. Am I crazy Why, thinking this from 3000 miles away? No, and if you watch the end of the game last night, so, um, you know, Van Bleek gets the three. It bounces off the rim, and the ball bounces around, and Tristan gets it. LeBron raises his hand, raises his arms in the lane, celebrating victory. The last time I saw him do that was Game 7 of the 2016 Finals. Wow. Um, he was, like, really, really proud of that win. And, look, there was there were videos. I mean, there were clips of video that you could find from Games 3 and 4 in the Indiana series where you could have used it against him later on. Yep. Uh, as, I mean, there was a, uh, well, I think the second half of game four, I, uh, people may have better memories than I do that will use it against me, but um, he didn't come inside the paint for like the first half of the fourth quarter. Yeah. And I, and I kind of felt like he was like, I don't think this team can win. Now, the fair rebuttal to that, is that he's just really tired, and one of the things that he's tried to do is figured out how to rest during the game. But that, that said, I got the same feel as you did was that LeBron was kind of losing faith, and and I that's that's good. I, I think that's I think you're on the right track. Well, we've been watching this guy. I've been watching him for 15 years. You've even been longer than that. I don't think anybody has seen him play more minutes probably than you have. I can't imagine there's a human being out there other than maybe family members that he has. And there's been moments during the course of his career, I I would almost call them fork in the road moments that he's had with individual teams. We saw it in 2010, those last two games against Boston. Um, There was a moment in 2012 I feel like during that Indiana series when it, it might have gone either way and him and Wade just wouldn't let it happen. 2014, definitely the finals. Um, and and especially in uh in that last game it, when he, he was just he was firing angry passes and you could tell he was just mad at the team he had. 
And then I felt that in the Indiana series too, where it's like, he's still doing his thing. He's, he's playing hard, but there's, there's this detachment. And now this is like, I would say the fifth time maybe in his career, I've seen it. And now it's gone. What do you think changed? Why does he believe in this team now? Well, I think it really helped that some of his teammates started making shots. I know that that's pretty a simplistic analysis, but let's say Van Vliet had hit one of those threes last night. And watching it live, I didn't really realize how off he was. I mean, the first one in overtime or in, at the end of fourth quarter was like two feet left. I didn't yeah. realize that watching it live, not until I saw the replay. Um, but let's just say Van Vliet knocks down one of those shots or let's say DeRozan's tip in doesn't spin out. And let's say the Raptors get their two point win and they celebrate and they're up one Oh, et cetera. I would have felt way better about the Cavs, even down Oh one after they played that game than I did coming in because for the first time in like three weeks, that actually looked like the team that won 50 games. Now they were an underachieving team, but they did win 50 games. They did have a lot of good wins. Yeah. And that looked like the team again. And so I thought, man, this is a, you know, instead of just taking a loss in game one, um, they actually, uh, you know, rebounded and, and, you know, actually got some traction. And so that's what I think re-engaged LeBron. They're out running plays again. J.R. Smith was, you know, hitting shots. They were, you know, Tristan Thompson was out there doing what he did in 2016. I mean, they just, it felt more like a game when they were playing well during the regular season. And to be honest with you, that should be a bit of a, a warning to the rest of the East. If the Cavs are going to come back and at least be that team, you know, they had a couple of long winning streaks this year. Then they actually might be able to have some teeth again. Now, they're so inconsistent that they could go right back into a tailspin. Um but that was the first time I saw a team that I felt like could win the Eastern Conference during these playoffs. Well, we both we both think LeBron is a basketball genius. I've written this before, and I think you have too. And I do think he calculates this stuff like the Terminator. The team he had before Thompson's miraculous resurrection was not a team that could make the finals. And whether they were going to lose in round one, round two, round three – they just didn't have enough flexibility. They didn't have the rebounding toughness. They weren't able to protect the rim. And more importantly, they didn't have the lineup flexibility. It's, you know, when you, as you're advancing round by round, you need to have a team that can adapt to whatever situation it's in. And that team just, you know, he knew, he knew pretty early on that all the guys that got in that trade deadline, probably he wasn't going to be able to count on them. They hadn't been in a lot of big games. And if anything was going to happen, it was going to be J.R. Corver. Uh, Tristan Thompson, love guys he had been in the wars with, but he didn't have Thompson. Then Thompson shows up in game seven. Like I honestly, like he parachuted out of the sky. What the hell happened with Thompson? He was basically a bum for this entire season. How is he Tristan Thompson again? It's very confounding. It's very confounding. You know, there was a, it was kind of a sad moment. Um, I'm trying to think what game was one of the, I think it was after game five in, in Cleveland. Um, which was a, obviously a tremendous game for uh, for the Cavs. That was a game LeBron hit the game winner at the buzzer. Yeah, and I was, um, I was, you know, the press conferences were going on, and I didn't go to them. I ended up talking to this agent in this hallway, and Tristan had to sort of make an escape, you know, for for weeks because of the stuff that was going on off the court. Yeah, like he he couldn't. He, he was like constantly trying to dodge the media and the Cavs were doing the best they could. He would like leave outside doors, you know, when the, 
when the media would get let in the locker room, that's when he knew to make an escape out the side door. In this particular case, it was during the press conference, so he knew there would be no media around. Um, he had to have a bodyguard walk him out of his own arena, not like a, like to, to fend somebody off, but you know, just in case you know a rogue camera came at him. Like he was having to get a bubble of protection around him. And regardless of what was going on, and I don't know what's going on over there. I I don't know the whole story. I'll be the first to tell you. He was just like really down. Here was this great win. He didn't even have any friends and family there waiting for him in yeah. the family room. Like, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying they weren't there at the game, but he was just kind of leaving by himself. Here was this great moment. Um, he didn't play in the game. I don't think he got in the game at all. And that's just, you know, a reminder of how long playoff series are, how long individual games are in in the finals or in the in the in the playoffs you know this guy was a week ago he was way down and yesterday he's back in his hometown in toronto having a major impactful game and he had this i thought he did a, a great job with the last play of overtime they, they ran a, a screen and roll for derozan and he got switched on to him and derozan came to the basket and tristan used his length to shut him down and derozan tried his um his pump fake moves and that's DeRozan probably got 300 free throws this year on pump fakes, and Tristan stayed down. He didn't. He didn't go up. He just did real disciplined basketball. Yeah, and he had to throw it out to Van Vliet. And I asked him after the game about not biting on those pump fakes, and he 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 did something that was kind of attention relief. He goes, "Well, we have a rule that if any of us bite on a DeRozan pump fake, it's a hundred dollar fine." Oh. And I've got a new kid, and I've got to worry about college tuition, and I don't want to lose my money. Wow. And he was obviously making a little joke there, but it was sort of his little acknowledgement. You know, I've been through some stuff, and I'm now feeling a little bit better, and uh, I can make a little joke reference to it. Um, And it was sort of a... Even though I know that the tabloid media has got blood on their on their fangs about this, it was kind of a little acknowledgement that he was kind of getting back to himself, not only on the court, but also just that he could maybe have a light moment with us afterwards. Well, I really trying to avoid. I really think they had zero chance of making the finals unless they got something from him, and I think LeBron knew this because against Toronto, Toronto's got size. Valanciunas is. You know, he's not an all-star, but if you don't have a center, he's going to have his way and he's going to, and even last night he had his way to some degree, but then the next round against Embiid, if they're getting nothing from Thompson, they're just done. They don't have a center. And, uh, and all of a sudden I feel like the ceiling of this team, it's completely changed. If they can get 2016 Thompson, even for five weeks, um, that might be enough to make the finals. They, did you think... I don't know, midway through the Indiana series, did you think this team had a shot, had a shot to make the finals? No. No. And <laughs> I didn't either. I, I'll just say that uh, uh, they are a very fragile team. They go, they, 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 they spin wildly on the, on the dial all the time. So I don't want to sit here and listen back to this podcast in five days and think, boy, what a fool. Yeah. So it could, it could still go way left. I agree, and I acknowledge I acknowledge uh, that it could go way right, um, even during the Pacers series. But they were completely smoke and mirroring that thing. Yeah, and they've they've won five playoff games by fifteen total points. And 
He had Dwayne Casey last night saying, I thought we were the better team. And I was like, boy, that's exactly what uh, Nate McMillan was saying <laughs> three days ago. Um, so, you know, you know, you could present two different cases. On one hand, you could say they're on a razor's edge. They're smoke and mirrors. They, one guy turns his ankle or whatever. One guy gets in foul trouble or whatever. You know, they're out of a game. On the other hand, you could say they really haven't played anywhere near their best game yet. And they've just because they've got the best player, they've somehow miraculously won five games. And what if this is the beginning of a 10-game cycle where they play well, which is something that did happen at times during the regular season. And if they hit a 10-game cycle where they play well, in 10 games they might be in the finals. Um, I honestly could go either way, and I don't have a good feel of which way it'll be. But last night was very progressive in towards the, the game that the Cavs want to play. And, Bill, I don't even think Tristan Thompson was that big a part of the game plan coming in. Um, no, but I, I think I, I think they realized eventually that they had no chance in this entire series unless they got something out of him, right? I felt bad for Valanciunas last night because he has a 21-point, 21-rebound game. Yeah. And he, and he had a beautiful suit with a beautiful bow tie. He dressed to be on that podium, and he couldn't make the podium right. in a 2020 game. And it, he was dominant. Yeah, I think... I thought it was really interesting after game seven of the Indiana series, LeBron inadvertently revealed that he's coaching the team, which I think we all knew anyway, but he's like, you know, it's a game seven. I wanted, I wanted my guys out there. I wanted the guy, I wanted my guys who'd been in big games. And it's clear that he told Ty Lue before that game, look, if we're going down in a game seven, I need, I need my dudes from 2016. Like, forget Rodney Hood and all these other dudes. Like, let's go to, let's go to war with the guys that we know have been in wars. And it really does seem like it's invigorated him a little bit. Now, whether you can rely on J.R. Smith and Kyle Korver and whatever the hell is going on with Kevin Love, who just does not seem like the same guy, I, whether that's enough, I don't know. But I will say this, and I'm sure you felt it in the arena last night. He not only does he own Toronto, not only was it absolutely ludicrous that they were plus one sixty underdogs heading into the series, but I could feel it through the TV. That crowd when it started slipping away in the fourth quarter, it felt like a two thousand three Red Sox against the Yankees crowd. Could you feel it in the arena? Yeah. So there's this thing that happens in in basketball games in general, and it um, it happens in NBA playoff games especially. It's difficult to describe. There, you just sort of get a feel. I mean, if you've if you've gone to a lot of games, you've watched a lot of games, you don't have to be like a high-level analyst. You can feel it. You, yeah. can see, you see this sometimes in NCAA tournament games, too, but those games aren't quite as long, so there's not as much nuance. You can feel the game moving. Yeah. And um, it doesn't always work out, but you could – and the Raptors fans, okay, they've now – this is the fourth year they're sort of in a playoff run with their team. And uh, I came up here a few weeks ago to do a story on their, they were 0-10 in game ones. Um, and I talked to some of their fans, some of their long-term fans who sit close to the court, guys who've been season ticket holders since like 95, 98. And they described how there's this sense of dread that overtakes the crowd. And that happened again last night. And, I didn't think that like DeRozan and Lowry, you know, choked per se. They got tight but, though. They got tight and then yeah. they kind of rallied out of it. But there was like a two minute stretch where you could, it was hot potato. You could feel it. Yeah. And this is just a devastating stat. Um, I don't know how other way to present it, but 
the Cavs, and when I say the Cavs, I'm essentially talking about LeBron, but I guess you're talking about those five guys. Um, they've won four straight playoff games here over three years. Ugh. So do you think they're going to go to bed tonight worried about playing game two in Air Canada Center? I'm not always no. a... I'm not, not always a huge believer in momentum carrying over from game to game in a playoff series because I think there's a lot of evidence that that's actually not true. But there's certain moments where I actually do believe it. And what you talked about where you can feel the game move in the arena, the most glaring example I can ever remember that is the Clippers-Houston game when when the Clippers choked away that huge lead to Josh Smith and Corey Brewer. Remember that? They were about to clinch. Harden's on <laughs> the bench. Course. And even the the Rockets were down eight, and I thought they were going to win. The crowd was petrified, horrified. Um, there was this sense of of incoming doom that you could just feel. I've never, even at Red Sox games, I've never felt anything as profound as that. And I do think, like with this Toronto thing, they've they've hit the point now where they're actually going to need like a miracle win at home, where like everybody loses all faith whatsoever. And then they hit two threes in the last 20 seconds and pull a game out of their ass. And then people start believing again. I think LeBron goes into these Toronto games down. He's like, I own this team. Could you feel that last night? Like just LeBron's confidence that he was going to pull it out? Well, in the first half, he was kind of, it wasn't, it just wasn't going well. But as soon as Tristan, the game changed. It was a 10 point game midway through the third quarter. Uh, Kevin Love was experiencing one of the worst 20 minutes I've ever seen a good player play. Yeah. I do not understand why he could not make a two footer. In fact, in the first quarter last night, he took a 70 footer and he took a two footer. Both were, were, he took both. He was close. I can't believe this. he was closer to making the 70 footer at the end of the oh quarter God. where he just threw it up. The ball almost went in and that was a better, had a better chance going into the two footer. He had like three minutes before, um, but I took Kevin love out of the game. The, there, was when, there was a guy, somebody was on the line, and the guy made both free throws, and it was a 10-point game. That's when Tristan came in the game. From then on to the end of the quarter, the Cavs, LeBron went, took, took some rest on the bench, and the Cavs cut the lead from 10 to 5. And you wouldn't say, oh, my God, what a massive swing. This is what I'm talking about. There's a, there's a, a, a thing that just happens in playoff games, especially when you have experienced teams. So, LeBron, so they start the fourth quarter, and the Raptors have been great at home in the fourth quarter all yeah. season long. They, 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 this is one of the things that they did this year that was so impressive. The reason why game one was here in Toronto last night was because this team was a closing team all year long. But LeBron didn't care about that. He comes to the, to the, to the court to start the fourth quarter with six minutes rest in the game. Like he, he had gotten six minutes rest. That's the most he's had almost all playoffs. Yeah, and now it's a five-point game with arrested LeBron, and I think in that moment, I think they were like, "Okay, I think we got a chance to win this game." Now, again, Van Vliet could have hit that shot, it, you know, and, and and that, and then we're we're talking about how OG Ed and Obi did a good job against LeBron, which he did, and the storylines are different. But the thing about it is, that the Raptors are thirty and one. Uh, I think it was thirty and one at home this year when they're leading going into the fourth quarter. Thirty and one. So this is a situation where you're looking at, you know, I think you said it was minus 160. I would love to know what the live in-game is. You know, tell me a lot about what the better thing In better Going thing. into overtime, Toronto was favored by two and a half points, which I, I was flabbergasted about. I don't know why anyone now would bet against them. That's just stupid. 
uh, the way the game was going, that was all Cavs. Um, but wait, can we talk about um? A, can we talk yeah. about the different peaks of LeBron? Quick break to talk about Pro Flowers. Doesn't mom deserve more than one day? When you send her Pro Flowers for Mother's Day, she's guaranteed to have at least seven days of fresh, beautiful flowers. Right now, my listeners can send 100 colorful blooms with a free glass va- vase, 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 vase. I go vase. Vase. A free glass vase. Vase? At just $19.99 plus shipping and handling. Just use my promo code BS. With fresh flowers, guaranteed delivery, and unique vases, vases, and accessories that mom will love. Pro Flowers has everything you need. For all the moms you know, just choose the delivery date you want. It's guaranteed. You can even get your gift delivered on Mother's Day, May 13th. May 13th, that's coming up. The only way to get 100 call for blooms with a free glass vase vase at just $19.99 is to visit proflowers.com. Click on the blue microphone. In the upper right corner, use my code BS. That's proflowers.com, code BS. Back to Wendy. I thought in 09, his first monster year when he uh when he lost to Orlando, but that whole year he really put it together and athletically was really starting to he feel won himself. First MVP. Yeah, and and athletically was just starting to put it all together just as a as a night to night beast. Um, a little like what Davis did the last three and a half months. And then I think, you know, 2013, the year after Miami won, the year of the streak, when uh, he came out, he was shooting like 60% for the first two months. It seemed like he jumped the level. Um, and maybe there was another another yeah. another point during one of the, the Cleveland finals, the first year when everybody was hurt. I don't know. But this version of LeBron, who just seems like he's in – the the greatest shape he's ever been in. I can't remember him logging this kind of workload and playing this many minutes and just never seeming tired or or tapped. This is a whole new version of LeBron. Is this the best you've seen him play or is, would you pick another version? Well, peak peak you identified. I'm actually, I know that you're, you're, uh, you have a good memory, but this is impressive to me during that. Uh, you exactly identified where I thought LeBron was absolutely at the absolute tip of the apex of his career during that 27 game win streak. Yep. If you want to go back now, remember the game is a little bit different even now than it was then because the pace of the game was slow, slower. So even if you look at some of the stats now, it's not even really comparable to only five years ago. But if you look at that stretch, when they win 27 games in a row, he had, six consecutive games where he shot better than 60% from the field and he shot more better than, and he scored more than 30 points. And that was on a game with, that was in a game with Wade and Bosch. Yeah. And then he, then he barely missed it. He shot like 57%, but I think he had a triple double and like hit the game winner that game. That that was the, that was the only stretch where I felt like, you know, and I saw it happen with Bird too when we were watching Bird in the mid '80s, where he had hit this level where he was actually kind of fucking around during games. He was so good. He's like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna try this for a quarter. I'm gonna try this for a half." And Bosch, but I'd Bosch on a podcast like eight weeks ago, and that's what he picked too. He said that was I've never seen anybody play basketball like what LeBron was like during that streak. So anyway, I interrupted you. Go ahead. I, I felt like uh, during the 2015 Finals. Um, where they got ahead 2-1 kind of before the 
the war. Well, Delavadova literally played himself to exhaustion. He got sent to the hospital after three right. yeah. because his whole body, they, like, he couldn't get out of the out of the cold tub. Like he, they had to summon people into the room to lift him out of the cold tub because his entire body went to a cramp. Um, that hurt because Delavadova was giving Curry a little bit of problem, but. When he had the now, he was playing terrible basketball. He was shooting like thirty-five shots to score like forty-four points. Yeah, but in a way, it was kind of a mastery of the game. Um, it, it was reminiscent of what what Jordan kind of had to do in that Utah series in '98 when when uh, when Pippen was hurt and Rodman was on his way out of the league, and he just basically was like, "All right, I have to figure out how to control every minute of this game, save my tank, pick my spots." That's why I feel like that was kind of the third level of LeBron. I don't think he would have been able to do that six years before. And now this version, um, there's a confidence and kind of an arrogance now with him at the in the last couple minutes of a game that I'm not positive he's ever had in his career. Like especially like game five Indy. I think he really was like, I'm winning this game. They go, Oh my God, they gave me three seconds left. I'm going to that spot and scoring. And that was always the rub on him. Remember that. He always made the right basketball play. Oh, he didn't take the winning shot. Oh, he's he's still not that clutch, and we would all pick him apart. And now I think there's an arrogance slash confidence with him. If you leave him an opening in a game, no matter what kind of team he has, he's going to win it. Like, he takes it personally. Oh, really? Oh, you, you're going to give me well, – I'm down one with three seconds left. You're giving me the ball. I'm, I'm closing this. And uh, I don't know. It's been really fun to watch. He's got his. He's got his ten thousand hours of playoff basketball. Yeah, I think. You, really I think you're right. I because he was not because, never this confident. Because early in his career, or earlier in his career, I guess not early, early. But remember, there were a lot of times where we didn't know if he was going to play well in a playoff game. You know, there were. You know, he had some duds in there. Um, primarily being the two thousand. He obviously had some uh, a bad game or two in the two thousand ten playoffs. Um, well, 11, 11 was the nadir. We were both in the arena for that for when sure. JJ Barea guarding him on the low post and stuff. And he's chewing his nails and it really seemed like he was melting down. I'll, I'll never forget watching that. I mean, like I'm never going to take that. Uh, you know, he, he's got 875 consecutive games and double figures. Yeah. That's a regular season stat <laughs> because in the 2011 finals, game five, two, two series, he had eight points. Eight. Yeah. He, and, and Wade was playing his ass off. Wade was yelling at him. Over at him going, Remember? What are you doing, boss? Yeah, Wade, what are you doing? Wade was like challenging his manhood in game three and game four. Like, where are you? <laughs> he was just screaming at him. Uh, he just, I think he had, starting from uh, the meltdown, the previous playoffs and the decision and all the attention and being the villain for the first time, it really seemed like that's the one time he kind of caved. I I never see that happening again. I, yeah, and, there was a time, and, and he was kind of being an ass because remember, like he and Dwayne were like making fun of Dirk, saying that he wasn't sick. Yeah, like sniffing. Dirk was up there. That was a mistake. First off, Dirk Nowitzki is not. <laughs> I mean, you want to make there's certain guys you can make like you want to make fun of Lance Stevens, then no one's going to stop you. Yeah, Dirk Nowitzki is beyond reproach. <laughs> Dirk was up there on the uh, doing this interview after the game. He was so cold. He was basically wearing a parka. Yeah. It was it was uh, it was it was June in Dallas. It was 109 outside. And he was shivering. He was just being a uh, he was just being a dick, to be honest with you. Um, but now LeBron doesn't have bad playoff games. Like he said last night, this was one of my worst games of the year. I don't know if that's accurate, but it certainly was his worst playoff game. 
He had triple doubles. He had triple doubles. Well, he's um, he's he been able have bad games anymore. Yeah, he's he's been able to match all of the different things that he's had at the different points of his career into whatever package now. Like physically, he's so imposing. You know, he he really can. It feels like he can get to the rim and at least either get fouled or get fouled and they won't call it every single time. He's just picking his spots with that. And his outside shooting is probably the most consistent it's ever been. This is also probably the worst team he's had, I would say, since, what do you think, 09? It's, it's the worst. No, that 09, however much you want to criticize, I don't mean you, but you know, people criticize those 07, 08, 09 Cavs teams, and certainly they were weaker based on the teams he's had for the last half decade. 10? Those guys defended. True. I mean, you know, like they were the number one defense. Yeah, it was ugly and they won game 70. Uh, you remember the, the, the 2000, this is where we've come in the NBA, the 2007 finals, game three, the Ginobili carries, Ginobili and Parker carry the Spurs. You remember, 75-72 was the final score of that game. Oh my God, I remember. In LeBron's first final. Yeah. 75-72. Last night, the game was 87-82 after three quarters. So it's a different time. But those teams defended. Um, yeah, this is the worst, I think, talent-wise, play, depth-wise playoff team he's been on. Um, well, especially, but, hold on, uh, let's let's take a quick break. Hey, let's talk about propercloth.com. Every guy knows that it's hard to find a dress shirt that fits, collar too tight, sleeves too long, shirts too loose. I have some good news. Ordering a custom fit shirt has never been easier thanks to Proper Cloth. Create a custom shirt size in seconds by answering 10 easy questions, no measuring required. Choose from over 20 collar styles, 10 cuff styles, and 500 fabric styles from classic to business to completely customize your shirt, get the style that you want. All high quality with the absolute best quality and craftsmanship starting at just $80. Proper Cloth guarantees a perfect fit, meaning that if somehow your shirt doesn't fit perfectly, they will remake it for free. Stop wearing shirts that don't fit. Look your best. Go to propercloth.com slash BS. Enter gift code BS to save $20 on your first shirt. Again, that is propercloth.com slash BS. Gift code BS. All right, we're back. Uh, especially when you're talking about LeBron's worst team. I don't know what's happened to Kevin Love and I don't know who gets blamed for this. And I don't know if getting traded to LeBron's team at the specific point of his career was the worst thing that could have happened to him. I don't know whether he's a great stats, bad team guy, but um, I'm not sure what he is right now. And he's, he's too young to kind of crater off like he has. What is going on with him? So I'm going to give Kevin credit. Um, it's hard to play with LeBron. I agree. It really is. You're either kind of meant for it or you're not. And Kyrie hit opt out. And it's really an interesting moment in history. Now, Kyrie has ended up landing in a perfect spot for him. Uh, I don't think it could have worked out better, but he could have gotten sent somewhere else where he would have been in an abyss. I mean, when you ask for a trade, you have no, you know, you don't, you know, you have multiple years on your contract, you don't have a no trade clause. They could have, you know, I don't want to take a shot at the Phoenix organization, but he very well could end up in Phoenix. And, well, I, but I think that you know, was going to, I think that was going to happen. And I think him and his agents were basically, I think it was Phoenix and Denver were the two. And him and his agent were, once he got a sniff of Boston, he cock blocked it. He's just like, if, if, if you trade for me, I'm not, I'm not staying there when I'm a free agent. So good luck. 
that's correct. That's yeah. correct. But they still, with two years left on his deal, they they probably would have had been able to roll the dice. I, I could have seen him rolling the dice. They I think Denver. I think Denver should have. I think Denver made a mistake. I think they should have just rolled well, the dice. I think Denver. Uh, the Cavs really wanted Paul George in that deal. And if the Cavs couldn't get Paul, the real deal that could have been done that wasn't done was the Pacers were willing to trade Paul George for Kyrie Irving straight up. The Cavs weren't, weren't trying to do that deal, but Mm. the the, the Pacers would have done that deal. In fact, I think they asked on multiple occasions, let's, let's, let's not involve Phoenix. Let's not involve Denver. Let's just do business straight with Kyrie. This is before Kyrie's trade demand. Yeah. And um, it's one of those things with timing. If the Pacers had just waited, it might have been different. But obviously the Pacers feel great about it. They have no no regrets. Not only do they love Oladipo, he's a two-way player, and he's under contract for less than the max for the next three years. The Pacers are, have no regrets. But um, getting back to Love, you know, Kyrie opted out of what Love is dealing with. Love deals with the persecution of being a LeBron teammate, of being blamed, of dealing with um, his social media undercutting of being the fall guy, as he's called himself. Uh, there have been so many nights where Kevin has walked, and we already know he's already talked about how he battles emotional issues and, and you know mental yeah. issues. There have been so many days and so many nights where Kevin Love has walked out of a building feeling beleaguered and beaten down, either directly because of LeBron or because of LeBron. And or indirectly or directly, I should say. And I have to give Kevin a real major hat tip, being a professional and being adult about it. He has always seen the big picture. He has never, at least, at least publicly and privately, when I've talked to him, and I haven't talked to him a lot, but he has always maintained that this is all worth it. That playing. In these late game situations, I mean, this is a guy who played for six years or whatever it was, never sniffed the playoffs. He's like, this is where, where I'm at right now. This is the charge for playing with him. And, you know, this happens with, um, you know, this happens with, with LeBron teammates. Like, uh, you know, Shumpert was on with Rachel on the jump uh, last week, and he was talking about how LeBron is amazingly inclusive off the court, but on the court, sometimes tends to not be so inclusive. Yep. And it was a very honest statement from Shumpert. Uh, I appreciate him saying it. At the same time, Shumpert has a, a ring and a $40 million contract because of LeBron. Right. And, and so, you know, and Kyrie has a ring because of LeBron. Uh, now, he doesn't have his max contract because of LeBron, but he's got a ring because of him. And now maybe he'll go on and ring, win another one, and he'll be the guy. Maybe that's what will indeed happen. Well, but but, um, but isn't that the difference? Hard. Like you comparing great players, the all timers, uh, Jordan, LeBron, people in that Kobe, I think is like this too, where the the good teammates kind of had to fit in with how they played basketball, and whereas like Bird and Magic, and I think Ben Simmons is going to be like this. Those were guys that made everybody better, and it's like give me something, give me somebody who's a B plus, and I will make them an A. Give me somebody who's a C plus, I'll make them a B plus. LeBronic, it's gone either way over the course of his career. And I think everybody who's succeeded with him has ended up sacrificing a piece of themselves for it, right? I think Bosch is the best example of that. Bosch was absolutely the perfect third wheel and figured out how to perfect. acclimate his game. Perfect. But that that could have absolutely. gone horribly. Um, with Love, it's been up and down. I remember seeing Love at a Knicks game 
the year after they won. So it was like maybe six months later. And I've known him for a long time. And I was just like, oh man, it, it, did you ever think like if you lose that finals, you're probably not on the team? And he's like, oh, they would have traded me. Like he knew, they they all knew like he was going to be the fall guy if they lost that year. And he's probably going to be the fall guy if they lose this year. I think it's a tough spot yeah, for him. If, and by the way, like if LeBron leaves the free agency, they're going to trade him. Yeah. And he knows that. Like he, like I, I, I he's a real one. You know, uh, and and there are moments where you're like, my God, is he, is he being mentally or physically soft? And okay, that's you know his burden, I guess. But uh, again, I give him credit for you know for for you know pulling up his pants. Quite frankly, like Kobe used to say to Paul Gasol, "Put on your big boy pants." Yeah. Whatever you want to say about it, he has he has done that, and um, I actually I, I admire Chris Bosh so much. I can't. I don't know if I could speak more highly of anybody I've ever covered other than Chris Bosch. Yeah, one of the great teammates. For the way for the way he was able to handle that whole situation. And I and I speak very highly, you know, love is not as good as Bosch, but I speak I, I speak just as highly of, of love's ability to manage the situation. Uh this is what, two thousand ten we had this, two thousand fourteen, and now you're feeling it again this year. So it's almost like every four years, like the Olympics. The the exit plan is just kind of hanging over everything. There's been rumors dating back to before last finals about LA and now Philly. Really, since the All Star break, Philly has been the big rumor. There's Houston, all these different places where LeBron might go. You've talked about this on every show you've been on. And I don't want to ask you, oh, what do you think is going to happen? Because nobody knows what's going to happen. But having watched him deal with this kind of subplot now three times. What's different about 18 versus 14 and 10 in terms of this might be the last run? Who the fuck knows? There's two major differences. Number one, everybody around him is openly talking about it. Like everybody on the team knows, like like Kyle Korver knows if he walks, he's probably getting traded. Love knows if he walks, he's getting traded. You know, I don't know what Tyron Lue is thinking. You know, there's a possibility there'd be a coaching change because the Cavs would completely go a different direction. Um, it's openly being discussed. In 2010, that team won 60 games, went 8-0 in the first two rounds. Or, I mean, uh, you know, went 4-1 in the first round. LeBron, they, they won game one of the Celtics series, and LeBron won the MVP before game two. Nobody was sitting there going, he's out of here. Yeah. You know, it all went south in It a wasn't week. until game um, five. Game five was when everybody was right. like, wait, that was weird. Uh-oh, what's going right, on and here? Then, and then... And then in 48 hours, it was over. Yeah. It was like, wait a minute. You know, same with Miami. Remember, Miami's 1-1. Now, granted, that organization was gassed, but they were younger. They, I mean, they, you know, Bosch and LeBron had years in their prime left. Wade was definitely uh, decaying. But, um, you know, it was 1-1. They were going home in the finals. But I, then, I, remember, being, course, I remember being on TV before Game 5, and I, it was either before or at halftime. And I was like, this might be LeBron's last home game ever for Miami. And people thought I was a lunatic. But if you were there and at the finals, it was a big topic. And people were like, could right, he? But it wasn't a big topic like for, for a couple of months leading up. Like right. Everybody on the roster wasn't talking about it when, no. they, when LeBron wasn't around. And that's what's happening right now. Um, and everybody in the organization. I mean, the Cavs are actively getting a plan together post LeBron. That's what the whole Kyrie trade was about. It was a post LeBron trade. Yeah. Um, but the other way it's different, Bill, is that um, LeBron doesn't have a real clear path on where to go. To be honest with you today, I don't love 
any of his options. I don't either. I don't. This is what I wrote about in February. I don't know what the move is. Uh, I now things could happen. Kawhi could get moved around. Paul George and he could get together, etc. Um, uh, but I, I don't. I'm not in love with any of them. Well, don't you agree? If Philly so, makes the finals, which I think is still the safest bet, I don't see how. I, if I'm them, I don't I don't see how I go, let's bring LeBron into this. I don't want to mess with that at that point. If they lose to Boston, I think it's way more realistic. But I don't you know, I well, just if you're Philly and, and you have the ammunition to trade for Kawhi or Or Paul George or whoever. Yeah. Or, or sign, sign Paul George. Well, yeah. There's sign and trade situations. Like they don't have the cap space, but they could make it happen for LeBron. But it you know they have, you know, they have the firepower to make a big trade too, because they have assets. Yep. Um, Philly is in an interesting, Philly's in an interesting spot, but I, I agree, it doesn't, it doesn't fit like a glove. Are we going to um, feel stupid when he's on the Lakers in three months? All the signs have pointed there situation? for. Well, all the signs have pointed there for fourteen months. I, I, I made this case four months ago, and I'm gonna, I'm just gonna repeat it. I think it's the move that you make if you're him and you're thinking about this in terms of chapters of a career where it's like the through Oh nine or through 10 in Cleveland, the Miami is the second chapter coming back home, winning titles, the third chapter. And then the final chapter is I'm going to LA. I want to become a billionaire. I want to learn from magic Johnson. All my businesses are there and you just blow it out that way. And there's a lot of signs that that's the way he's thinking. Well, um, I, I think it could be as sort of as simple as this. It's the last act of his career and he just wants to be happy. And yeah, maybe, I agree. you know, you know, one, one of the things that's important here, remember he's got a 13 year old and, and, and his other son's about to turn 11. His daughter's a little young yet. Those kids get a voice this time. He's going to go to them and say, Hey, what do you guys want to do? I mean, these are kids who have spent their lives living between Miami, Cleveland and LA. They live in LA in the summer. And if his sons are like, hey, we love our friends and we want to stay here, um, that may be a factor. Yeah. And if his kids are like, hey, it would be awesome to be in L.A. We love our house in Brentwood. It's, we can go swimming in February. Um, maybe that's a factor. Maybe it's not about – I mean, I know that winning is important to him, and whatever teams he's on will win. But, you know, maybe it's just like, hey, um, my family and I kind of want to – we're going to – you know, he's going to live in L.A. when he's done anyway, at least for most of the year, a part of the year, whatever. He may just be like, hey, I want to be happy. I want to be happy, and you know what? The Cavs need to move on, and – so that could that could be his reasoning. It could come down to just you know what I just want to I just want to have some fun my last couple of years here, and, and and we'll try our best to win, and and I'll and I'll I'll fight the good fight against the 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 Warriors and the Rockets and whatever. That may be what it comes down to. I don't know what it's going to be, but it it may come down to kind of what his family feels because I don't from a basketball standpoint, and a lot of things are going to happen, but from a basketball standpoint, I don't see a great fit. I mean. You say last couple of years, the the kind of shape he's in and all the stuff he's done to his body day after day and those workouts that he's doing, it might be a Tom Brady thing. I thought Tom Brady was going to be done by now. And it's like, yeah, Tom Brady's 41. He's coming back. There he is. Oh, he's on Instagram. He looks great. Looks like Tom Brady. Could he play till 45? Well, his, I don't know. Maybe LeBron getting, could. His, his back getting fixed. Because, you know, a couple of years ago, he was having pretty significant back issues. His back getting fixed was a game changer. And now I think it brings in his concept of 
his dream of playing with his son when he's 38. I don't know if his son's going to be ready when his son's 19 or 18, but a, a Griffey Jr. Um, thing. I, I wish there was a way to bet on that. I would I would put a thousand dollars that LeBron and his son will play together at some point in their lives. I think it's more know, realistic than the Ball Griffey Brothers. Fan. You know, you know, Ken Griffey Jr. was at his first ever game. Really? And so his guy at Nike, Lynn Merritt, who's one of the most yeah. uh, powerful people in basketball. Lynn Merritt, like before he was LeBron's spiritual guru in Beaverton, he was Ken Griffey Jr.'s spiritual guru. Oh, wow. So Ken, LeBron met Ken Griffey when he was like 18, and like they have a this connection, Lynn Merritt. Um, Lynn Merritt's like the most powerful person in basketball that nobody knows. <laughs> he was, well, the, uh, the and, biggest game in LeBron's career, Game 6, 2012, Boston. He had two people sitting courtside, Lynn Merritt and World Wide West. And those were his, that was his family for that game. And those were the guys he looked at. And those were the guys that were kind of trying to carry him that game. Remember that? It was, he was looking over to them and fist pumping and all that stuff. Lynn is a very, very important figure. And there's only really five or six people who LeBron has trusted. Yeah. And have had a big role. Lynn is, Lynn is one of those men. Hey, Brian, we got to take a, Quick break. The captain, Captain Morgan, he will not rest until he's brought his adventurous spirit and delicious rum to every corner of America. Original spice, coconut, pineapple, white, black, grapefruit, whatever you want. The captain loves anyone who learns to mix like a captain. We're picking a captain every week during the NBA playoffs. So we're about, eh, we're eight games in. Who's your captain? Who's who's your guy for the playoffs right now? Who who would you, let's, let's remove LeBron. Let's make it a non-LeBron. Captain, who is your guy? Who has stood out for you during these playoffs so far? You're going to love this answer. Okay. Terry Rozier. Oh, wow. Cleveland's own. Scary Terry. Uh, I love him showing up in a Drew Bledsoe jersey. It would have been amazing if he did it for game seven, but okay, I respect he's got to try to stay in line. But uh, it's how much money is that guy going to get paid this fall? What would you do there? Well, it's really fascinating because they're going to have to pick between him and Smart. And it's kind of the elephant in the room. There's really no reason to pay both of those guys, especially when you have Kyrie and Jalen and Tatum and Hayward and Horford. Like, I, I mean, they could pay both of them and then figure out what to do, but it, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me. And I do think he's become an above average starting point guard, knock on wood. But, you know, it's there was really no signs of this until this season. And even this season, there were really no signs that he could be go in a playoff game and be like one of the dominant guys in a game seven. It goes back to my theory though, um, which I've had for years. And sometimes it just applies to certain guys. Some guys aren't meant to come off the bench. You know, some guys aren't meant to play eight minutes a half and succeed. I think Kyle Korver is somebody that can come into a game for nine minutes in the first half and he's immediately at the level he needs to be at. Other guys need to just be out there and play 35, 38 minutes and feel the flow of the game and have the ebbs and flows of it and just get a confidence from it. And I think he's one of those guys. Can you remember, like, has there been a LeBron teammate like that, that you just felt like was better as a starter than a bench guy? Hmm. It's, it's a good, I like your theory. I'm feeling you on it. I have, I have to think about it. Um, Mario Chalmers, maybe. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, you, you. That's a good one. You might be right on that. Uh, Chalmers was a great player next to LeBron because he 
he couldn't be, he was impervious to being uh, beaten down. Like, you, like, love gets beaten down at times. Like, yeah. Mario's ego is so enormous that it cannot be battered. So it was perfect. Number one, he can shoot. Number two, he can defend. And number three, when LeBron screamed and yelled at him and made fun of him and mocked him and blamed him, it didn't bother him. Yeah. It was a perfect, perfect teammate for LeBron. But they don't have to sign Rogier this fall. He's not a free agent. But I would, I would uh, want to extend him because he's a guy that some team could try to poach. And let's be honest, the Celtics have got to watch their payroll. The only thing I'll say is if they ever do harbor dreams of trading for Kawhi, or trading for Anthony Davis. And who knows? Maybe they're going to win this series. Maybe they're going to win the East. And they've got Hayward and Kyrie coming back. And maybe they don't need that player. But they don't have the contracts right now to execute the trade. And what I mean by that is everybody on their roster either makes max or is on their rookie deal. Right. They don't have a, they don't have a mid-tier player. I was talking to an executive, and they were like, they kind of got to sign Marcus Smart. Not only because he's important to them. They need a mid a mid tier contract they can use in a trade if they want to go for their big fish, you know, in the next year. Yeah, and, that, and um, that's the case for signing Marcus Smart and Terry Rogier in the eight to ten million dollar ranges. Now, give some tradable pieces. That's what never made sense about the Anthony Davis rumors. The only way to do that was to basically yeah to put Horford in the deal, plus Jason Tatum, plus picks and. I'm not saying they wouldn't have done it, but it, it just wasn't as easy as people seem to think. Anyway, we'll make... So yeah, Terry Rogier, congratulations. You're the captain this week. Don't forget to check out Captain Morgan. Uh, he will not rest until he's brought his adventurous spirit, delicious rum, to every corner of America. Uh, I think one of the interesting things for me with this playoffs has been that the Anthony Davis trade rumor machine, which was going to be one of the dominant things of this summer, <laughs> Boogie gets right. hurt. They missed the playoffs. Where's Anthony Davis going? I think that even, you know, LeBron would have been the 1A, where's LeBron going? I think where's Anthony Davis going would have been 1B, and where's Kawhi going would have been 1C. And now I don't see any way Davis leaves. I, th- I think I think he ends up staying there. I think they re-sign Boogie. And at the very least, this goes for 12 more months. Um, do, am I wrong? Uh, I think uh, we don't have a most improved GM award, but how about most improved GM for Dell Dumps? Um, yeah. Sticks his neck, yeah. Sticks his neck out on Drew Holiday's contract, okay? Which seemed insane. And Drew Holiday's been awesome. And the midseason Miritich trade, what a great trade that was. Awesome. Saved their season. I and- mean, I know that. And, and dumped know. a contract, dump, dump the Asha contract, which was was a, a pill for them for this year and next year. A what a great battlefield maneuver that was. Um, so I thought I thought Dell Demp after really having a rough summer the year before. Um, I thought uh, Dell Demp with tremendous mid and really the whole front office. I mean. You know, he would, you know, I've talked to Dell. He would be the first to credit Alvin Gentry. He doesn't want any, you know, he's <laughs> at the, I went to the, the, the Pelicans first playoff game. It was five minutes before tip off. And I ran into Dell uh, literally on the court in Portland and Dell was 
trying to sell me on voting for Alvin Gentry for coach of the year. This is before he sweeps out um, the wow. Blazers with some, and I, and I go, Dell, that's all great. But the vote went in yesterday. Right. <laughs> Sorry, Dell. Del, I mean, Dell would, um, Dell would be the first to give credit elsewhere. But I mean, he, he made some guts, even the boogie move was a gutsy move. He's made some gutsy moves. And I know that they're struggling. They're playing against the historically great team, but, uh, you're right. He's taken the press. He has removed the pressure and bought himself time with Anthony Davis. And that was no easy feat considering the hand that he was looking at. And he signed Rondo too, which, you know, was a, seemed like a throwaway move at the time. And oh, that may, yeah, maybe. And now that has become uh, one of the bigger reasons that they needed to probably win game two last night to have a realistic upset chance in this series. I I just don't think there's any yeah, they way. They needed Curry to be a dud in his return. Yeah. What they needed. And they needed some calls, which they didn't get. Uh, but, you know. Speaking of calls real quick. Yeah. Um, I know it was the right call. But LeBron, uh, Ibaka getting that call on LeBron. That was an interesting moment in the, in the, in for the, for the folks who think LeBron never gets the, the, the bad end of the whistle. Yeah, that's true. He still gets a lot of calls. I'm fine with it, by the way, because it's like the old Chris Rock joke about the dad. Chris Rock joke about the dad getting the biggest piece of chicken when he comes home from dinner. Uh, right. When you're the best player in the league, you should get the most calls. It's just the way it goes. It's frustrating as hell when he's playing your team, but um, especially like there were moments in that Indiana series when he was flying around like a middle linebacker, just crashing into people. And it'd be like, there's LeBron James's first foul. It's like, wow, he's committed 30. Um, and they really, they could call an offensive foul on him. They they could pretty much call whatever they wanted. And Shaq was like this and Will Chamberlain was like this. Those are the three guys in the course of history where it's like, how do you even officiate this? He's putting his head down. He's going to the rim. He's stronger than everybody else. He's bouncing off people. He's He can shove people off very carefully an almost imperceptibly and they go flying backwards three feet. How do you referee it? It's impossible. I know. Uh, the moment, uh, one of my favorite moments of the playoffs so far was when Lance flopped on him and uh, he got called for the foul and Lance just laid there on his back, spread Eagle <laughs> right. and like looked up with that look on his face. Yeah. I still can't still believe at the end of the day. Well, I still can't believe that Indiana didn't win that series. And we've seen a million playoff series like that. And even in game seven, it was like, Indiana's better, but LeBron's going to win. You you just knew. But, you know, I think that game four, game five stretch, if they never get really close with this nucleus again, is going to haunt them. Game four was, I think LeBron, the writing was on the wall in LeBron's head in that game. That if it went a certain way, it's like, oh man, we're done. And, and, Corver made a couple crazy threes. I mean, he made one three. He does this before. I mean, he's done this in the course of his career, but those threes when he's coming off screens, going at a at a, a like a on a clock at the three o'clock angle, he's falling to the right and somehow can set his body for a split second and shoot a 26-foot shot. Him and JJ Redick are the only two guys in the league who can do that. And he just made a couple of those right when they needed them and right when it felt like Indiana was going to get that game. And uh, I don't know. I, I, This is what I love about the playoffs is that sometimes you just have these moments and everything shifts. Boston and Philly, I think Boston could have gotten swept if they lose game one. Now they win game one. Now there's a three-day break. 
they did a bunch of things in that game one that's going to get into the Sixers' heads. They took away threes. They've been good at taking away the 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 uh, closing out on threes all year. And I think they had the best opposing three-point field goal percentage in the league. They were able to get back on D. And I was talking to my dad this morning. He was saying playing Giannis for seven games has really helped Boston in this series because they know now what to do on these Ben Simmons fast breaks. They know how to build a wall. They know how to just throw bodies in front of them. And Philly is going to have to really dig deep a little bit to win one of these games in Boston. I think they have more talent, but they're going to have to come up with an extra wrinkle. I think it's going to be Ben Simmons in the low post. I don't, they went to it twice at work both times. I don't see any real way Boston's going to slow that down. Um, but I think Boston has a chance. What did you did you see that game? What do you think? I didn't. I was traveling. Um, I just I just missed it. Um, I mean, I read a lot about it. I, I, I definitely noticed the three point numbers, um, and that's a huge factor for Philly. Uh, I this you know you you brushed up against the Tex winner line, which uh, I can't say any better. Everything turns on a trifle. It's just so true. The, you know the, the games are so fragile. You know the, those two Corver three pointers saved the Cavs season because not only did they get him a position for the game, they reignited LeBron in that game. And yeah. again, I don't know why you ever would. You can just take my word on it. If you go watch the way LeBron was behaving before those two threes and behaving after, it was a major difference. And and the same thing, um, you know, Philly hadn't faced any adversity, really. I mean, you know, over the last five years they have, but like they are on this magical carpet ride for the last six weeks of the season. Um, you know, they played quality basketball. I, I was really impressed with the way they just wrestled the Heat into a sleeper hold in the fourth quarters of all those games because the Heat are known for playing everybody close. Right. Um, but they basically haven't had any adversity. And I mean, like this game, uh, they get Boston coming off game seven and Jalen Brown gets hurt. Um, like everything was going their way. So in a way, I'm actually kind of glad, and, and I think they should be glad too, that they're facing some adversity. Let's see how they respond to it. Let's, you know, Brett Brown is a good coach. He will make some some adjustments, and you know, maybe it is Simmons in the post. Uh, but um, I'm glad to see the Sixers face a little adversity. They were having a little bit too much fun in Philly. They need to calm down a bit. Well, I, the one thing he won't do again, I would assume, is putting JJ Redick on Jason Tatum. Even as that was happening in the moment, I was like, wow, this is really stupid. Jason Tatum's going to torch him. Uh, by the way, the ringers, JJ Reddick, no offense, JJ. I just <laughs> no, don't, don't really think one of your skills should be guarding the gigantic, uh, long arm Jason Tatum. But, uh, I feel the same way as you. I think things were going so well for Philly. I thought Boston was going to lose and I still think they're going to lose. But that day, the odds, there was, you know, there was, Philly was like minus five thirty to win that series by the time by tip off. That the Celtics were four to one underdogs in game one. They were five point underdogs, and everybody just had Philly penciled into the finals. And I, I even did the tweet. I did the nobody believes in us tweet with the Eagles from because it's basically the same thing happened with the Eagles after Carson Wentz got hurt. And I was like, man, we've seen this happen in sports. The one team thinks they're heading to the finals, and they, and it's all. It's all hunky dory, and here we go. And they don't see it; they don't see the haymaker coming. And then you have the other team. Nobody believes in them. Guys like Terry Rozier, who you know have just been discounted. And meanwhile, Boston has home court advantage, and they have the best coach in the league. And, and they have uh, a great atmosphere and there. a great you know, crowd. It's really, it's really a crappy building. The Philly building, but it's no the 
Boston. Oh, the Boston. Uh, oh, oh, oh. It's a crappy building. Uh, yeah, but, it was built in the mid nineties when we didn't know, we didn't really know any better yet. But the crowd is great. And I don't know the uh, PA, PA announcer's name. I, I should, I've been to 75 playoff games there. Yeah. There's so, he is awesome. Like, uh, like there's just something when the, the, the crowd is so into it. It's, the crowd saves the building. The building has no character, but the crowd is so good. And the Celt- and the, the Celtics do so many good things, like they're heroes among us. Yeah. And Gino and Gino back in the days. And when like the announcer just is so perfect, it's just a perfect Boston accent. And you know, back in the days, Rajon Rondo. Yeah. I mean, it's an intimidating place to play, even if you are the better team. It's a great home court. Um, it's like, here's the thing. The crowd in Toronto is a great crowd, but for some reason, it's not that intimidating of a place to play. I talked to Paul Pierce about this, and Paul Pierce is persona non grata. Yeah. They hate him here in Toronto because he is, he, you know, but he said that to me. Um, he's like, listen, their crowd is amazing. He goes, it doesn't even do justice on TV, but it's not an intimidating place to play. And it's a great building. The design of the building and the nature of the building is awesome. Um, and yet, for some reason, it's not as intimidating. I can't put my finger on it. Like, I know why it's intimidating to play in Utah. Because it's a basketball-only facility, and the, the rake of the, the, you know, the angle of the seating, they don't have portside seats. So they don't have to, like, spread those seats back out. All the seating is, the stands come down to the second row. And the fans are, are the angle is much different. It's a... It's a, it feels tight. It feels like a college arena in there. I understand that. I understand why it's, it's intimidating to play in Oakland. It's, the building was built like in the 60s. You could fit the entire structure of the, you know, you could put all four walls on the outside of the Oracle Arena and drop it inside just the bowl in the United Center. That's how small of a building it is. Yeah. I get why those two buildings are tough to play in. But for some reason, Boston, in that playoff environment, <laughs> is a tough place to play. And if you've played 70 playoff games there like LeBron has, maybe you're not so worried about it. But if you're in that environment for the first time, I don't care if you play there during the regular season. It's different. And I think the Celtics definitely probably took advantage of that for sure. And Philly was coming off. They had some confidence from beating Miami in round one. You know, listen, the Miami fans are going to get mad. I'm just going to be honest. Not an intimidating place to play. And especially, it's just different. It's going into Miami versus going to Boston. It's no contest. And I, I think this was the first time they had a crowd that was really going against them. You know, the, the biggest game Simmons and Embiid have played this whole year was the Friday night game at home against Cleveland during the regular season. National TV. Right. It's just kind of a game. And they and they passed a checkpoint. They passed a checkpoint winning that Miami series. This is a different kind of checkpoint. This is... We are the best team in the series. We have the most talent. We have the most talent in the East. The seas have parted for us to make the finals well before anybody thought we could. There's historical precedent with this, as we talked about on this podcast before. 77 Blazers, 86 Rockets, 95 Magic, 2012 Thunder. We've seen this. But now you actually have to go, you have to win on the other team's court in a really tough place to play against a great coach. And you're going to find out a lot about yourself. I think this game too, three days to think about it. And they're going to have to come up with some wrinkles. And Ben Simmons is going to have to be the best player on the court. It's not Embiid. To me, this is Ben Simmons has to win game two. I don't, 
Embiid, if he gets his 30 and they post him up when they're, if you noticed in game one, you didn't see it, but um, when they posted up Embiid, he was getting good shots. He was scoring. He seemed unstoppable, but everybody else just stands around and watches when Sim, when it's running through Simmons, everything opens up. Guys are moving. He's hitting threes. Everybody on the court is a threat. And they're just more dangerous. And I, I think he's the one that's going to win. What do you see for, you've seen a lot of these dudes this this century. Where would you put his ceiling for you? So I watched, <laughs> I've been spending a lot of time with Michael Wilbon recently watching games. He's mm. been at some of the, he was at some of the Cavs Pacer games. By the way, no better, no and better wingman to watch games with than Michael Wilbon. It's amazing. First off, it's amazing. It's just like he sees stuff. He's seen a lot of basketball, and uh, like I, I don't want to speak for him uh, because he has his own content to deliver. But um, <laughs> he thinks LeBron would be crazy and Philly would be crazy to have to go to that team. He's like, why would you? Why would you get in the way of the next Irvin Johnson? Yeah, I I um, hundred. I said this on a podcast uh, a couple of day uh, with House. I. I don't think he should go there. And and I and if I'm Philly, I'm not messing with Ben Simmons. The, ben Simmons has a chance to be one of the best 20 players of all time. I'm not messing with that. I'm not bringing LeBron at the in the last stage of his career to then have the ball half the time. I want guys who can play with Ben Simmons and I want him to reach his potential. And then if Embiid can stay healthy and reach whatever potential he has, now I'm dominating the league for 12 years. So, but they do need one more major piece, in my opinion. Yeah, but it's it's a Paul George Kawhi type piece. I don't think it's a LeBron I, piece. Paul George would be amazing there, I think, uh, especially because I think Paul, if he if he could be the third guy, I think he could really thrive. But the sa- <laughs> the sign and trade rules really, it's not like a Chris Paul thing, where he could opt into another year and then they could sign and trade. Like it's, it's basically, they have to create the cap space, which would mean they'd have to dump Reddick and Bellinelli, Amir Johnson, Ilyasova. I think they'd have to renounce at least a couple of those guys to make the room. Yeah. The the real move, (laughs) the real move for them to make would be to have, I mean, this is, uh, this is if they wanted LeBron. Okay. Cause LeBron has the Chris Paul option. Yep. Would would be for LeBron to opt in and then they trade for him. Before, LeBron's opt in is June 29th. Would be they trade for him before the end of this league year. Oh, in June. And like yeah. Chris, like so, Chris Paul. Exactly. And but you know LeBron makes 33 million. You'd have to send some real pieces over there. Like it may cost you Robert Covington. I'm okay with that. <laughs> okay, so like twist it would be my a arm. trade like this. It would be a trade like this because if I'm the Cavs, I probably ask for. I would probably ask for the tenth pick. Yes, Sarge. I'd want Sarge. I'd want Covington. I'd want. I'd want those Euro dudes they've stashed. I'd want a bunch of stuff. Or they. Or maybe Fultz. Maybe maybe you can sell Ooh. the Cavs on Fultz and and the Cavs say, okay, we have this Brooklyn pick plus Fultz plus Covington. Like that's a way to get it done, and the reason that would make some sense is because now you become a non-space uh, team, and now you have rights on Reddick and you have rights on Amir Johnson, and you can keep them, and you still have your exceptions. You can go out there and do like that's the, like 
that's the way. I mean, again, we're debating about whether LeBron would even fit there. But if Philly wants to completely go all in for it, but the, the, the challenge of that is, you know, Philly's not allowed to talk to LeBron. That would be tampering, right? So how do you get LeBron to, um, you know, want to come to Philly? Well, Ben Simmons is represented by the same agent. So it really come down to whether Ben Simmons, you know, you know, wants to play with him. You know, but Ben Simmons can call LeBron up, you know, 10 minutes after their collective seasons are over and negotiate it, just like James Harden did with Chris Paul. And, you know, it's maddening for the team, but it's not against the rules um, per se. First of all, the funniest moment of this entire podcast when you said when you said uh, Philly's not allowed to talk to him. That was hilarious. <laughs> I wish we had had a, like one of those 70s sitcom laugh tracks. Like Philly hasn't talked to him a hundred times already. Give me a break. Um, second of all, Rich Paul, who owns Clutch, who's, who supposedly owns Clutch, people don't think LeBron oh, no, he is, owns Clutch. No, he, he owns he Clutch. Owns I, I just, they're, you know, LeBron will never, will never know. We'll never know what LeBron's involvement is in Clutch. But Rich Paul represents LeBron and Ben Simmons, as you, as you said. But, but it's a pretty good way to start an agency with LeBron and Ben Simmons. Yeah, LeBron's. You know, he's just recruiting guys as a personal favor to Rich Paul. He has no stake in the agency. Um, sure. So, uh, but I'm going to play some dramatic butt music. But dun dun dun. Who represents Joel Embiid, Brian Windhorst? Uh, I believe it's CAA. Is it CAA? Or is it Wasserman? Was- no, no. Oh wow! I can't believe I'm I'm, I'm telling terrible. you things. How am I telling you I'm things? Having, I'm having a brain fart. Uh, Joel Embiid is represented by Leon Rose. Well, CAA, Leon Rose, CAA. What is Leon Rose's involvement in uh, LeBron James's life in the past? I just saw Leon last night. I said hello. Um, he was LeBron's first agent. He he negotiated basically LeBron, Bosch, and Wade coming together in Miami. What? Uh, who is Leon Rose's closest confidant? Who also works for CAA? William Wesley. What is William Wesley's relationship with LeBron? <laughs> I don't think it's very good anymore, to be honest with you. But oh, I, I think I, I think, think not I, very good is an understatement. But he was, as we said earlier, in that 2012, he he was a father figure for LeBron, and in that 2012 Boston game, it was uh, Worldwide West and Lynn Merritt courtside as his support system, and then. Eventually, uh, World Wide West leaves, and now him and Leon Rose are prominently involved in Joel Embiid's life. I, I'm just laying it out. I, I think it could be a little rocky. If I'm Joel Embiid, do I want LeBron on my team? Like I said, I don't necessarily know if Ben Simmons would want, should want LeBron on his team. Um, I think it's fascinating to talk about. I think for a team like Philly that has Sarich and has Fultz and has the 10th pick and has this pick, um, and cap space, other plus picks. They have a lot of weapons at their disposal that they can use to improve this team. They have cap space if they want it. Um, they don't necessarily have to go for the big fish, but certainly it would be very tempting if LeBron was interested. I just don't know if it's the most ideal fit. You know, regard. You know, yes, I do think that. And I don't know if it would be the best thing for Embiid's career if LeBron went there. It might be the best thing for their team. But I don't. I agree. You, you know, you may be onto something there. Well, listen. We'll find out if Joel Embiid is a man or not. 
I guess is what we're going to find out. We'll find out, Joel. Are you a little boy who lets your team tell you what to do and LeBron shows up and you're just in LeBron's pocket or are you your own man? I'm kidding, by the way. That's what. Um, is, by the way, this is so interesting with Philly and Cleveland right now. Yeah. So, like, Philly is doing major game planning for their most important summer, arguably, in franchise history. Yeah. Because because they're not going to have cap space and their and their draft pick assets dwindle a little bit after this year. Um. So this like this summer is everything for them. What they decide to do in the summer is everything. So they're like in battle command mode in Philly, preparing not only for a lottery pick, but how do we engage? How do we? What do we do with Kawhi? What do we do with Paul George? What do we do with LeBron? Then you're the, you're the, the Cavs. The Cavs are out there. They, you know, right now have the seventh pick. Like they've got to decide how they're gonna what they're gonna do here. Like you know, because the season will end on them quickly, one way or the other. And they're going to have to decide, um, hey, do we want to trade this pick, try to keep LeBron? Do we want to like get LeBron involved in this? Because the draft, obviously, is before free agency. So you're going to have to have a good feel for LeBron, what he's going to do before you, you know, do you, for example, do you go for Trey Young or Michael Porter? You know, I mean. Or Bridges from uh, Villanova. Or, right. Or what happens if the Cavs, crazy, inexplainable lottery luck, Continues. What oh happens God. if they hop into the top three? Oh, I'm 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 driving off a cliff if that happens. Say goodbye, everybody. <laughs> if the Cavs win another lottery, I'm done. I'm out. I'm retiring. They don't have to win it. What if they just get the third pick? Oh my it, God, that was the that was the only time I lost my mind on national TV. I actually like flipped out. I, I was on live television in front of a national audience, and I was like, I "You got to be kidding me! We got to change the rules. <laughs> this is crazy." Uh, can I tell you my worst case scenario for Philly? Okay. As as a Celtics fan, this is as a Celtics fan my worst case scenario for their summer, because I think this would be devastating. They make a move for Kawhi, which I think would be false that tenth pick, Covington, whatever, and then they clear cap space for Paul George, and next season they try out Ben Simmons, Paul George, Kawhi, and Joel Embiid. Hide the women, hide the children. That's that's the upside move for them. If they can figure out how to get both of those guys on next year's team, it's over. It's over. I'm think I'm thinking about the possibility of that. It would be difficult to clear the cap space to do Paul George for him to take the full max, but it's not impossible, especially because they have all of these young players who aren't making any money. Like well, Rashawn Embiid's, Embiid's and contract. Yeah, Embiid's contract kicks in next year. Yeah. But they Reddick is 23, Amir Johnson's 11, Covington is 16 next year. Bellinelli and Eliasova I think are like I I forget what they make but They're off. I yeah, do, they're, they're off. I do think there's a roadmap for it to work. I'm looking it could at happen. They they would they may like their big thing is they'd have to move Jared Bayless for sure, but you could you could make San Antonio take Jared Bayless in a Kawhi trade because you'd be giving them like Sarge and the and the picks or whatever. It it could be done. It would be difficult, and I don't know if Paul would be able to get his full max, but Actually, I believe I, it could be done. I'm looking at it. It's it's super doable because next year's team is Embiid at 25, Covington is on the books for 10, but he's probably got like some sort of kicker in there. Uh, Bayless is eight and a half. Fultz is 8.3, but he's in the trade. 
Simmons is 6.4, Sarch is 2.5. From what I can see, they're only at like 50 or 60 million. So if you put Fultz and Covington in the Kawhi trade, then you'd have enough room for George. Holy shit. I can't believe I, I, I even put this idea out in the general public. But this is, this is the thing. Like, this is what those, not only that, they've got to, like, right now, I promise you, the Sixers are doing full vetting background into Paul George. Yeah. And, and, if you're the, and if you're the Spurs, I don't know this to be true, but my guess would be you're doing full vetting on potential Kawhi trades just in case that's what happens. And it wouldn't surprise me if, like, right now the Spurs were doing vetting into Sarich just to see, like, you know, Sarich and, and Fultz and stuff like that just to see what's going on there. In the, because you have to prepare. And this is what's so crazy. Like, Philly is playing their most meaningful games in, I don't know, decades. But, you know, so I guess since the, they, they beat the, the, the Bulls in the first round when Rose got hurt, but they weren't really a super-duper threat. This year, they're like a – these are their most in, in, impactful games in a long time, yet they're plotting for, like, a Riley-esque move this summer. And, like, they have to do it now because yeah. a year from now, all their young guys, they have, they, they have to start paying. Like, this is their window. Um, well, it's very so similar to it's, it's similar to Boston, where Boston's last two summers they had to get free agents. They had a two-year window right. to land uh, Horford slash Durant or both, and then they had to get Hayward or somebody comparable or Paul George or whoever they ended up with last summer, and that and that was their window. And now it's really hard for them; they can't go outside the cap anymore to get anybody else. I think at this point, Tatum and Jalen are probably untouchable. I I can't imagine, you know, if the Spurs said, we'll we'll trade you Kawhi right now for Jalen with all the information we have about Kawhi and what's going on with him and all that stuff. I, I think it's a scary trade. I, I Boston would probably well, talk themselves into it, but I, I but it, four months ago, that's not even a conversation. You're like, yeah, sure. Jalen and what? You name the price. And now it's like, oh, the Kawhi trade is a leverage trade. What I mean by that is, you'd have to know whether he intended to extend with you or not. Now, I, I think if you traded for him, you'd have to wait six months. You couldn't extend him right away, which is a problem. You'd wink, wink. Stuff it. happens in six months. You'd have um, to wink, wink it, right? But, right, right. Of course. But and by the way, I still can't believe. And you know, Ramona Shelburne and Michael Wright. I don't know if you got to read that story. I that did. Wrote, really. Um, sort of really uncovered, not uncovered, it's the wrong word, sort of shed some light on some of the stuff that's going on in the Kawhi camp and everything like that. But what I still can't figure out amongst all these guys, all these real estate deals and all these shoe deals, if the Spurs offer the extra $70 million, there isn't an endorsement deal that Kawhi can sign. There isn't a, a financial bonus for going and playing for the Lakers or the Knicks that's big enough that covers for the $70 million difference. Now, look, if the Spurs don't offer it, that's the Spurs' prerogative, and if they don't offer it, they deserve what they get. But if I just can't see how any agent in his right mind, I don't care if he's your uncle, I don't care if he's Warren Buffett, uh, no one is going to tell you not to take seventy million more dollars. No, well, one. you do the Carmelo where you you get the money and then you figure out your move a year later. But it did seem like the one thing there were a lot of revelations in that article. The and one of them was Pop basically just seems fed up with them completely. That quote he had about he's not here, screw him. Hey, the what, Pop's won five titles. He's had a great career, and I I do think he's a little like Belichick in this respect. Like you don't want to be here, fuck you. You're out. Um, 
the the best part of that story though, I'd been you and I swim in the same info circles and hear stuff and hear a lot of stuff we can't talk about or we can allude to and that's it on podcast, TV, whatever. I was very happy that Uncle Dennis finally got his his uh his big moment in the Ramona Michael Wright story where I had just been hearing about Uncle Dennis for months and months and months. I was so fired up. Now we can actually just openly talk about Uncle Dennis, who, uh, you know, we've had Uncle Dennis's in the past. It's not great for Kawhi. It's just not. This is not a good situation. It just doesn't seem like he has a good circle around him. And anytime your uncle is a dominant advisor in your life who doesn't really seem like he has a lot of experience on this front, it's not good. It's just not. Well, I don't know Kawhi. I do know his father was murdered, and this uncle has been a, a driving factor in his life for a long time. He didn't show up 15 minutes ago. No, I, I'm, um, I'm aware of all that. I'm just saying it seems like he's the dominant advisor that he has right now. That does seem to be true, and I would just say that there is no advi- – I can't see an advisor in the world. I don't care if you're talking to a Swiss banker who wouldn't advise taking the extra $70 million. And again, yeah. the Spurs have to offer it, and if the Spurs don't offer it, then we have a different conversation. But if the Spurs offer the Supermax contract, there is no explanation for why you wouldn't take it. Even if you're miserable, even if you never want to play another minute for Pop again, $70 million, you got it out for a year and then demand a trade. <laughs> I mean, unless, unless you feel like like it has to be an L.A. team, and I, th- I think it's the Clippers. I said that on Monday. I think that's where he wants to go. So if you think, all right, he's in L.A., here are all the things that open up. Could we make fifty million on a shoe deal now that he's like one of the LA stars? I don't. Maybe you could talk yourself into that. But you think there's a shoe company that's going to give? And by the way, these shoe deals. I mean, I could arrange a shoe deal for you that that, that could be reported for worth three hundred million. I mean, if you if you sell a billion dollars in product, right? You could rig it. Line. I mean, you know, you can make a shoe deal anything. But, but wait, what's the act? I mean, does does you think Kawhi Leonard makes? Moose product. I mean, it's a terrible time for shoes. I will say selling right now. Yeah, but I will say what happened with Kyrie when he went from being LeBron's sidekick to having his own team in Boston was pretty noticeable. You know, he went to the right. He went to the the right city, right franchise, and it made him a bigger superstar. Just did for sure. Kyrie's um, shoes were the only shoes I just read. A report uh, this week: Kyrie's shoes were the only shoes that increased in sales amongst all the signature guys this last yeah, year. Yeah, and I'm everybody, not even everybody else went down. I'm not even talking just about the shoes. I'm talking about cool factor, profile, appreciation of how good somebody is. Seventy million, seventy million dollars. I don't know. Seventy million dollars. Seventy I, million. Kawhi arguably could have won the MVP last year. I voted for Harden. He's been, I think, in the top three MVP twice. He is really the only player who, I don't want to say he shut down LeBron, but really gave him everything there was to give in 13 and especially 14. And got in LeBron's head. Got in LeBron's head and was the best player in that series, by the way. Um, For sure. And has been one of the best players of this decade. And Jordan Brand's offering him 20 million for four years. I can see how if I'm in Kawhi's life, I'm like, this is ridiculous. Now, okay. the let's rub is that Kawhi, has, but Kawhi has no personality. So it's like, it's kind of hard to sell. Blows them out of the water. Let's say, so 70 million from the Spurs and 20 million from Jordan. That means 
that's um, that's that's ninety two million. You've now got to make up in salary and shoe deal. You mm. gonna you gonna get there with Adidas? No, I say good luck to you. Well, it is also <laughs> like how would you describe Kawhi in two sentences? You know, uh, boring, He's boring, boring greatness. Boring, but I do think I'm sure people in his life are like you're like Pop's robot. That's how people see you. Nobody can. Nobody knows what you are. You're just this great player. Meanwhile, you're as good as all these guys. Why aren't you in these conversations? Like, if you're hearing that all the time, that's gonna start affecting you. And uh, and it does seem like there was a little bit of a breach with the, you know, as Ramona and Michael Wright's story covered about which opinion do I trust when you shift away from the team like that and find your own people, and then you're not going to the games. Like it really does seem. I would be. I cannot believe he was not at the games. I would be. Wouldn't you be? Would you be flabbergasted if he came back next year? I'd be flabbergasted. It just seems like well, it's over. The big thing to me wasn't what Pop has said. It's what Parker and Ginobili have said. Yeah. Parker and Ginobili have come to like the, the two yard line of basically branding him, you know? Yeah. And th- a th- bad th- you know, this is the guy who uh, he won a real, he, he basically won them a ring. Like this is. You know, Parker and Ginobili are not crap talkers. So that to me was a very indicting thing. But again, I just, if the Spurs lose him, it could potentially be like the the Bucks trading Abdul Jabbar. Because while you believe in RC Buford and Pop, like it would reset the franchise. You know, Ginobili's going to retire. Parker raised the specter of. Of uh, going to go to another team, like you would have a your a rebuild, and it may be thirty years before you get another Kawhi Leonard. Now, maybe not. Maybe you'd win the lottery. Maybe you'd maybe maybe RC is just so great at team building they'd have him right back on their feet in three years. But in a city like San Antonio, if you lose Kawhi Leonard in a forced trade, you could be in for thirty years of mediocrity. I'm in the camp of never trading one of the five best players in the league. It's just one of my uh, wacky I'm theories. In that camp too. Yeah, it's just like I'm, I'm show in, me I'm when it's worked of- out. I'm in the camp of take the $70 million and work out your differences later. Come on, Uncle Dennis. Do the right thing. Uh, last but not least, and then I'm going to let you go. Um, I can't remember. When was the first time you were on my podcast? Probably like 2009, 2010? 2000, the, the 2010. Um, Somewhere in there? In that series. Well, that Celtics-Cavs series. That's yeah, somewhere around there, yeah. there's a BS oh, report where yeah. you came on and we talked about LeBron and what the f was going on with him. Um, it's been really fun to watch your career blossom over these last eight to ten years. And and uh, I watched, I was, I emailed you. I was with my dad last week. You went on PTI. You were just awesome. It's really hard to do those five good minutes things. And I was just like, oh man, that look at Wendy. He's all grown up dude now, doing his thing. Uh, it's been and really fun to watch. Thank you. As long as you're being kind to me, I, I am such a fan of this podcast network and the rewatchables. Um, I, I, I love it. Thank I love you. It. And, uh, I, I may, uh, petition certain, whenever you do certain movies, if I could squeeze in because <laughs> I, the, the few good men, I, if, if you're going to only listen to one rewatchables podcast, go listen, listen to the re- few good men. I just, I enjoy it with a smile on my face. It's so nice to, to not talk about basketball. It's a relief to not talk about basketball occasionally and listen to basketball. Yeah. And, um, well, especially, I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, especially because not only now that the way the NBA goes, 
You're going to go through the finals, the draft. Where's LeBron going? July 1st, next 10 days. Oh my God, this happened, this happened. Oh, finally we can get a chance to breathe. Oh no, two more things have happened. Oh wait, now it's August. This is a 12 month sport now. It just is. I think it's great. It's great for the ringer. It's great for our business. We love basketball where that's a huge part of our DNA, but it's exhausting. I can only imagine for you, like it never ends. The sport never, ever, ever stops. It's incredible. We're very fortunate. We're in a great time to be in the NBA and uh, the fans response to the league, the young fans especially has been on. This is my 15th year covering the league. And it's just so it's, I'm just, I'm very, very fortunate to be covering the league at this time. It's a, it's a tremendous opportunity. I, I've worn out a lot. I, I left uh, the arena last night at 2:45 AM. Yeah. But, uh, I really, it's really, we're very, very lucky that there's so many people love the NBA. So All it's right. great. Take care. I'm going to the entire finals, so I'll see you there. Take care of yourself. All right. Sounds All right. good. Thank Take you. Care. Good talking to you. Bye-bye. Thanks to ZipRecruiter, our presenting sponsor. Go to ZipRecruiter.com. Please check them out. Thanks to Proper Cloth, the leader in men's custom shirts. Create your custom shirt size by answering 10 easy questions. Shirts start at $80, delivered in just two weeks. Perfect fit is guaranteed. If a shirt doesn't fit, they'll remake it for free. For premium quality, perfect fitting shirts. Visit propercloth.com slash BS and use gift code BS to get $20 off your first custom shirt today. The Ringer NBA show taping tonight. It's a little episode of, uh, it's not heat check, it's group chat. Group chat, Wednesday night. They are going to be live on our Twitter feed at Ringer and you can send them questions uh, coming off of the playoff games tonight. Don't forget me on the Masked Man show talking wrestling. The Dave Chang show, episode two coming tomorrow, Thursday, rewatchable social network, probably early part of next week in the BS podcast. We'll come back one more time. There's a possibility we might tape tomorrow night after uh, the playoff games or Friday morning. Either way, we'll be back one more time. Thanks to Brian Windhorst. Talk to you soon. I want to see you.